So, well, this morning we're in this, uh, continuing this Advent series, the teaching series that we're calling His Kingdom Will Never End. And Advent is the season of Christmas. It's the Sundays leading up to Christmas. And Advent, the word Advent simply means arrival or coming. And so we anticipate the coming or the arrival of Jesus at, at Christmas. And uh, this morning we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Matthew. And the very first chapter of Matthew. And so if you have a Bible with you or an app that you can open up, I encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be kind of skimming all the way through the whole chapter of chapter 1. There's a lot to kind of go after. I won't read every line, but there's a lot to kind of get after. And we'll kind of be sitting in that, in that chapter this morning. So you can kind of do that. Matthew is known kind of as the uh, Jewish gospel. His writing is the Jewish gospel. The, of the four gospel writings, uh, Matthew is most concerned about proving that Jesus was from the, the promised Messiah from Israel. Uh, beyond more than Mark, more than uh, Luke, and more than John, Matthew's desire is to the readers to understand Jesus as the fulfillment of the Hebrew people's long-awaited Messiah. So you see in Matthew's gospel, you see this understanding of quoting the Old Testament as it was written, as fulfilled by the prophets, as it was written. You'll hear that all the way through the gospel of Matthew. If you read through Matthew, especially if you just, just did it in like in one sitting or two sittings, you just kind of go, you'll get this idea that Matthew really wants people to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You'll see references back to the Old Testament. But while Jesus is this promised Messiah, the one that people had been waiting for, the one that had been written about hundreds of years before, prophesied about, there were still going to be some things that were going to catch people off guard. There were still going to be some things that were going to be a little unexpected in the way in which Jesus, this promised Messiah, the one that people had written about and prophesied about, the way in which he would come, that were still a little bit unexpected. A little bit surprising. And what I want to do this morning is take a look at these unexpected things in the coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah. These things that may be a little surprising, especially to a Jewish reader in the first century. And see, what does that teach us about the nature of God? What are these unexpected things in the first part of Matthew teach us about the nature of who God is and then by by extension what does that look like for us as we seek to live in God's kingdom what does it say about us how do we live in this good kingdom that Jesus has come to establish as I said we're going to kind of walk ourselves through Matthew chapter 1 and just see where things may be a little unexpected and surprising that we may pay attention to let me pray for the teaching and then we'll get into it Jesus we come to you the living word. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts the way only you can. As we come to the written word now, the one that's been inspired and handed down and preserved over these generations, I pray that you would use it to spark faith in us, that we may know you and know you well. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Matthew begins his gospel with, which what most people would kind of feel like is kind of a boring part of the Bible. It's just a bunch of list of names, right? Just kind of a genealogy of Jesus. But it makes sense for Matthew to do this because if you were going to claim that Jesus was indeed the prophet or the prophesied Messiah, if he was the one that's going to fulfill all of the Old Testament, then you would start by proving that Jesus comes from the line of David because the promise was given to David that it would become one that would sit on your throne whose kingdom will never end. And so you have to prove that Jesus comes from the line of David. And so Matthew does this. He starts off, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the first few uh, verses, Matthew 1, 
1 through 6. And we'll see what we get here. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab. Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Let's stop right there for a second. Matthew's starting this bloodline, this genealogy of Jesus, and it's going along just as you would expect it to go along. He's giving the hall of fame of the Hebrew people. These are the patriarchs. These are the people that you would really expect to see in the line of the king that was going to come, this Messiah that one was prophesied. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are the heroes of the Hebrew people. These are the people that people wanted and expected to see. And this you would see in Matthew's gospel that he's going to highlight the very best of people. So this is all expected. This is what you would want to see. But then there's some unexpected names. Names like Tamar and Ruth and Rahab. These are not the names that you would want to see in there. These are not the Hall of Fame kind of stories. These are not the names that are passed on from one generation to the next when people are getting their, their firstborn son and they're going, well, we're going to name him Abraham or, well, let's name him Jacob. These are names that you want to pass on. But nobody was naming their daughter Tamar. That wasn't a name that you passed on. These are people with a past. These are people with an unsavory past. These are people with a history that you don't really want to talk about. And we don't have time to get into all their stories. That would be a a fun morning, but we don't have time to get into that because we have the rest of Matthew 1 to get into. But each of their story complexifies the story of Israel. Each of their story, as as it's included, complexifies things. All of a sudden, it's not what you thought it would be. These are people, like I said, that or they may have a story, they may have stuff, but these are the people that you talk about just kind of under your breath. You kind of go, yeah, yeah, let's, let's not spend too much time on that. Let's go back to the Hall of Fame people. Let's go back to the Abraham and Isaac and the Jacob. Let's go back to those guys. But these ones. But here's what I want you to pay attention to, because it is the inclusion of these unexpected names that demonstrates the first thing that we see in Matthew's Gospel, and that is it includes unexpected people it includes unexpected people in this genealogy matthew is saying pretty right out the gate here you might think you know how god's going to work he's saying right out of the gate you may think you know who's god's going to work with you probably have an idea of the kind of person that god's going to do wonderful great things from you probably have an idea of the kind of people that people will look at and go, wow, that was a man after God's heart. Or that, that was a woman who was doing great things for God. You probably have an idea of what's going on. You probably think that God's going to use the super spiritual people that know all the right things, that have all the right answers, that don't have any kind of unsavory parts of their past, part of the kind of skeletons in their closet. You're probably thinking, hey, the God's going to use the people that look really great on the outside, that have a nice little Christmas-wrapped bow on top of them, and everything looks really, really great. 
But Matthew starts his gospel right at the very beginning. He says, here's the truth. God will use whomever God chooses to use. God will use whomever he chooses. And he just might surprise you with the kind of people he chooses to use. There's an unexpected names. Names with complicated stories and past. Men and women with issues and compromises of character at times. Lustful pleasures. Things that we might think, well, there's no way God could use somebody like that. But Matthew, the very beginning of his story of Jesus, makes a very bold declaration. He says, God can use whomever God chooses to use. I hope that that would be an encouragement to you this morning. Because many of us know our own story. We know that we have our share of issues. We know that there's a part of our story that doesn't play out like the Hallmark Channel does. We know there's parts of our past or even our present that we're not proud of. Things that we've either done or things that we've been a part of that are just kind of unspeakable at times. But can I encourage you this morning? Can I encourage you that the story of God's redemptive purposes in this world are not limited to those whose life seems perfect. Are not limited to those who have everything wrapped up and perfectly answers. His story includes a cast of unexpected people. Unexpected people. But let's keep moving because we got some ways to go in Matthew here still. Matthew chapter 1 verses 17 and 18. He ends the long line of, of the genealogy and he ends it kind of saying where Jacob or uh, where Joseph comes from. And then he writes this in Matthew 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And pause there for a second. And I said this at the first service, and I probably shouldn't say this all the time, but this is one of my favorite parts of the Scriptures. It really is. I love this part of the story because Matthew is just sneaking something in there that if we're not careful, we might miss it. And I love this part. It's as if Matthew is saying, hey, check it out. I know there's some unsavory parts of God's story. I know there's some people that we may not want to try and forget about their story because we don't really know what to do with it. It complicates things. There's things that are kind of going on, twists and turns. But, but look, they're gonna be, it's going to wrap up all nicely. There's 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 generations from David to the exile. 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. Everything's coming all symmetrical. Everything's going to be really Really perfect. God's going to wrap it up. It's perfect symmetry, and everything is looking really, really good. All balanced and everything else. But then here comes something completely unexpected. Because Matthew says in verse 18, it's got nothing to do with Joseph. Joseph comes from the line of David. Proves it all. 14 generations. 14, 14. And then he comes to that that part in verse 18, and it's got nothing to do with Joseph. Nothing. This is going to be the Holy Spirit. Because Mary's pregnant before they've come together. This doesn't have anything to do with the way you think it's going to happen. This is all the Holy Spirit, which is the second thing I want you to take away with you this morning. That the Christmas story, the real part of the Christmas story, is not only that God's kingdom includes unexpected people, but it's a story of God's grace. It's a story of God's grace. 
Matthew's making a clear point here. You think you know how things is going to work out. It's all going to lead to Joseph. Look at all these generations, and it's perfectly symmetrical. 14, 14, 14. Everything is lining up perfectly great. And then he says in verse 18, and it's got nothing to do with that. It's all God's grace. It's all God's grace. And God's grace is often unexpected. It comes at a time in our life that we're not really expecting it. It comes to a person in our life that we're not really all that expecting. God's grace is often unexpected. And if you and I paid attention to the details of our own life, then you might begin to see the sprinklings of God's grace throughout your life, even when you didn't even know it. There are sprinklings of God's grace throughout your story. We tend to think about our story as if our life is kind of a product of what we've done, what we've accomplished. We went to the school, we had this job, we had this family, all these things we did. We saved up for retirement. We did all these things. We think of our life as wrapped up by the things we do, the product of our own energy, our own ingenuity, our own thinking. We think of it in the way in which we do, but there's not much that you can see in your life. You cannot tell your story, really tell your story, apart from the grace of God. You can't really tell your story apart from the grace of God. Now, while there's tons of things that we do for sure, but we see God's grace in the midst of it. And you can't tell the Christmas story without God's grace. Matthew is saying, you see how this is going to go. There's 14, everything's symmetrical. And then he says, but this is all God's grace. This is all God's grace. And while God doesn't, certainly doesn't cause things to happen, cause all things to happen in our life, he certainly can use any and all circumstances for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. He can indeed and will work all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. And that's all God's grace. It's all God's grace. The Christmas story reminds us very bluntly that God has been mercifully involved in our midst even when times when we didn't see it. Even when life threw us a curveball and it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, God has been mercifully in our midst. And even our salvation to bring about life with God and his good kingdom. Well, friends, that's all grace. It's all grace. The great hope that we have in Matthew's opening chapter here the great hope that we see in the birth of Jesus as Matthew introduces us to Jesus and the life with Jesus, the great hope that we have is that there's a place for you in the story of God and in God's good kingdom. There's a place for you. We all come from different backgrounds and histories and stories. Some of us have been around faith or around the church since we were born. It's kind of like we were born in the nursery over there. And we just started coming. Every time the doors were open, we showed up to church. Two, three, four times a week, we were there. Some of us have been following Jesus since we were breathing. Others of us have come to faith more recently. Just recently, within the last few weeks or even the last couple of months, we've been starting to be curious about faith. And so we've begun to start drawing closer to God. Some of us have been close to God with a robust, strong faith in the goodness and the sovereignty of God for our whole life. Others of us have been wandering. We have a history of wandering and and fledgling along our way, one way or another. Some of us have doubt and some of us have strong faith. 
But the hope that we have in Matthew's opening gospel is a hope that we can celebrate this morning. That whatever your story is, whatever your faith walk with Jesus is, wherever it has been, your life is not out of the sight of God. You are not out of the sight of God. Your life may have had twists and turns and ups and downs and curveballs and things may not have, have, have come out the way you want them to come out. It's complicated. But God is graciously and mercifully in the mix. And he's there. And he's with you. And there's a space for you. You may feel like you're not one of these Hall of Fame kind of faith people. You're not the one who's going to have your name up on a plaque for the various things because of the wanderings that you have done. But may you be unex- or surprised by the unexpected inclusion of people with a past in God's story. In God's story. But it also means, while there's space for you in God's story, that also means that there's space for those that you know who have a past. Because each one of us can think of someone who has a bit of their story, a bit of their past that's a little unsavory. A little bit like we don't want to talk about that. They are not beyond the reach of God's grace. The inclusion of unexpected people in the beginning chapter of Matthew would declare that not only is there a place for you in God's redemptive plans of this world, but there's a place for those that you know that have an unsavory history and the complications and a past. They are not outside of the reach of the goodness of God. They are not outside of the knowledge of God. God has an understanding of them. And life in God's kingdom is open and available to people with all sorts of history and skeletons in their closet, things we wish would go away. As long as we acknowledge the kingship and the leadership and the authority of Jesus as our Messiah, there's a place for you and there's a place for those you know who have a history, who have a past. But not only is there a place for you within this kingdom, not only does God know your story, And not only is he graciously and mercifully in the midst of your story, but God has given you a Savior. God's given you a Savior. The truth of the incarnation is that our Savior has come to be with us, to be near. And while you and I are tempted to think, at least I am, tempted to think that I can handle all things on my own, Part of what it means to be an adult is I just handle it on my own. I I pull up my boots and I keep on moving. I don't let life knock me down. I just keep on going. While I'd like to think that I can handle things on my own, while you may be tempted to think the same thing, if we really look at our story and what we really need, then you would recognize that you and I both, well, we need a Savior. Because the truth is I can't handle it on my own. There's a sinful thread in my life that I cannot handle on my own. I can't get rid of the sinful thread in my life on my own. While I would like to think I can, I need a Savior. And while you may be tempted to think that you can handle that all on your own, whatever the sinful thread is for you, if you really could look at what you really need, friends, you would know that you need a Savior. So do I. Matthew chapter 20 through 23. Matthew writes this. After he, meaning Joseph here, right? After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid 
to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the good hope is that God has brought a Savior to us. God is bringing a Savior to handle the sin thread in our life that we cannot handle on our own. But the unexpected way that this saving is going to happen is that God will bring the saving through His witness. Through His witness. See, God had always been for the people. God had always been for His people. But now God is going to bring about the love of God, the witness of God in a whole different level. He will be with his people, in the midst of his people. God is bringing salvation through solidarity in our sufferings, that he suffers alongside us, that he comes near us, that there's a witness component of God. We don't worship a God, in other words, who's off in some far distant country sitting at some large executive desk barking out orders and hammering out his gavel. We worship a God who's demonstrated his great love for this world by a witness, a desire to be with us. An incarnation declares boldly that God is not surprised by your stories, but he's graciously, mercifully in the midst of it, that he meets us in the midst of our turmoil, the twists and the turns and the curveballs that may be thrown our way, that he meets us there, suffers alongside us there to lead us to an eternal kind of life in his kingdom. My hope for you this morning, as we look at Matthew's opening part of his gospel, is that no matter how crooked your life may have been, how winding your road may have gone, that you would know that God can redeem your story. That God can rescue and save your story. He can use you in his divine purposes in this world. As you and I submit ourselves to his leadership and his kingship, and His authority in our lives. No matter how far you have wandered or how long you have wandered, there's some room for you. There's room. There's a place. And God has brought a Savior to be with and to suffer alongside and to walk with you in this life, to lead you. See, the story of Christmas, which many of us know, Right? We know the story. We've got the angels. We've got the little Hallmark cards. We know these stories. But the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, is really a story of invitation. It's a story of invitation to understand your life in terms of God's grace, to come to the one who has come to be near you, to walk with you in the midst of life's ups and downs, twists and turns, and all the curveballs, the way in which you think it's not going to work out the way you wanted it to to experience a witness of God, to stop the pretending that you can manage it on your own and to invite Jesus to be with you in the midst of whatever is going on, whatever circumstance feels out of control, whatever aspect of your life feels like it's wandering in the desert kind of stuff, to stop the pretending that I can handle that on my own and to come to the one who has come to be near me and to bring salvation to me by his witness, to suffering alongside us, to walk alongside of us, and to experience the grace that only Jesus can give us. 
This is Christmas. This is what the, this is what the incarnation means. It's an invitation. We're going to close the service here with an opportunity for you to respond to this invitation. To recognize wherever you are in your life's journey with God, that there's a place to come and find Jesus in the midst. In the midst. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whatever path that you may be on, whatever curveball you may be facing, whatever complicated situation you may be facing, that you would come and experience the only thing, the thing that only Christ Himself can give you, and that is the witness of God in the midst of your life, that you would experience the grace and God's mercy to be with you. There's going to be people right at the end of the sermon here as we close with a song. There'll be people on either side of the worship center at these kneeling rails. And if you have an issue, a complication, or thing that you just want to see God show up in the middle of the stuff that's going on. It may be complicated. It may be a big thing. It may be a small thing. But you're going to show up today and, and understand the invitation to simply invite Jesus to see him in the midst of whatever it is that you're going to. And to find that Jesus himself can save and redeem your story with as complicated as it is, with as ups and downs and curveballs it is. And when we do that, may you know that nothing in your life is outside the vision of God. It doesn't surprise him. But he has been actively and mercifully and graciously in the midst of your life, even now. Even when it seems like things may be getting out of control, he is actively, mercifully, graciously in the midst. And may you and may I Not only today, but this season, may we encounter him as Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray. We'll respond. Jesus, it is because of you. It is because of your great mercy that we come and worship. May you be with us today. May we encounter you in ways that have maybe surprised us and caught us off guard to know that you are with, suffering alongside us. May we encounter you today and we respond by acknowledging your authority and your kingship in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.